We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow Him fully. Today we have a guest speaker, Casey Tigrid, who will be sharing a message with us. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. Hello. He's all right, huh? I like that guy. Well, it's great to be with you. I was with you guys, uh, it seems like forever ago now, but one summer, and I was glad to be here, and I'm glad to be here tonight as well. Uh, I'm really glad to be here tonight because I spent all day today on a plane. Um, and this is one of those stories, like, we don't care that you were on a plane. I was, so I flew from Orlando, where Brian is. I left him there on purpose. Uh, I flew from Orlando to here, and I, I, I'm used to flying from Chicago, which is where I'm from, and so I didn't realize how long that was. And, and, and almost six hours on a plane. And so um, I don't know if you're like me. When I have long periods of time just by myself, I talk to myself. I'm glad to know I'm not the only one. And those of you who are not nodding, we all know you do it, you do it too. Uh, I didn't realize this actually until I got married. And uh, my wife, I, we moved into a house. And it was the first house we had where I got to mow the grass, which was kind of a big deal. I was really excited about that. And uh, so I was out back mowing the grass, and I came in, and she said, what, what were you up to out there? And I said, what do you mean? She goes, the whole time you were like, she said, you were talking to somebody the entire time. You were... And I realized, like, I talk to myself all the time. I may need to see somebody about this. Um, but I think we all do. We all have kind of this conversation that's going on in, in the back of our heads. And sometimes it's about, like, simple, silly things, like, oh, I've got to remember to or I need to talk to. Uh, but sometimes, sometimes it's bigger than that. Sometimes it's questions like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with this addiction? Or how am I going to pay these bills? I, I don't have the money for it. Or what am I going to do with these big, nagging, spiritual questions about faith and life and God and what happens when the lights go out? Our conversations, all of them, are coming from somewhere. All those little conversations we have in our head are coming from somewhere. And so over the last three years, I've actually had a chance, uh, part of being a person who writes books, is I get to like explore things. And the last three years, I've been thinking a lot about memories. And one of the things I've learned about memories that's really important is because it's the thing that drives most of what we do and most of who we are. So as I started looking at the Bible, I started looking at neuroscience, I started looking at just life, my life, and the stories that I, I've experienced in my life, what I found was this. Memories uh, make us who we are. We are who we are because of the stuff that has happened to us. And so because of that, that's where God finds us. As a matter of fact, there's a neuroscientist named Eric Candle who says this. He says, without the mental time travel provided by memory, we'd have no awareness of our personal history, no way of remembering the joys that serve as the luminous milestones of our life. We are who we are because of what we learn and what we remember. If that's true, that means that's where God meets all of us. The story of our life with Jesus begins right here. And our memories really matter. And so then I started thinking, well, how do we get these chunky little memory things that we carry around in our brains all the time? So I started studying that. And it's really interesting what happens. Every memory begins, first and foremost, as an experience, as a sight, a taste, a touch, a sound, a smell. Did you know there's no short-term memory for smells? Everything you've ever smelled, you'll remember it forever. That means bread. That means skunks. That means rotten milk. You've got it forever. It's there, and you're welcome. 
They start as experiences, and then they become memories. If we take them, we hang on to them, they get past our short-term memory, they become memories, they become snapshots, pictures of reality that we've experienced. But that's where we normally stop, but then it goes further, because our memories then become stories. They become the way that we see the world. If you have a memory of being bitten by a dog, and the experience of hearing the snarling and feeling the pain, then you start to have this story that says all dogs bite which we know is not true, it's really cats that are bad, but all, we have this story that dogs are bad, all dogs bite, and then we move from stories to scripts, and scripts are the things that teach us how to live. So if we think all dogs are bad, then we develop this script in our life that says avoid all dogs at all costs. And this is so powerful because think about what happens if here we experience a teaching that God is angry and judgmental and we have that memory and that becomes the story we live by, that God is an angry, judgmental God. We will live our entire lives trying to make sure we don't tick him off. And that's not a sustainable way of living. And the conversation in our head will constantly be, did I do the right thing? Did I check the right box? And that's not the kind of life that God has in mind for us. Because there's so much stuff that can jump in here. So many things that can end up in those little conversations in our head that can either drive us to health or can drive us off the rails. And there's one thing in particular that I think messes with us more. If you look at the list of the top fears people have, like take the top 10 fears of humanity, one of them is going to be public speaking, and all the rest of them are going to be things that will kill you. Since I'm doing the public speaking, we're just going to go ahead and move that part on. You guys don't have to worry about that. I'll do that for now. But what's at the root of all that is our greatest fear, the thing that gets into our memories, into our stories, and our scripts, the things that gets into our conversations and into our heads is this idea of death. This idea that life isn't is one point going to end. That's why I wore my Johnny Cash outfit tonight. Um, just to do the occasion right. And I do love Brian because he gave me this passage. He's like, why don't you preach on the death passage? Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate that. But I think there's something important, and I think we do need to talk about this. And I think it does have to do with the stories that we tell in our heads. And here's one thing I want to tell you about death. Jesus changed the conversation about death and death's role in our story. Jesus changed the conversation about death, what it is, and also how it plays in to our story, to our life, to the script that we live by. We've been in this series going through the book of Thessalonians. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a church, and this church is actually in an imperial province of Rome. So I'm going to nerd out on you for just a second. It'll pass. Just hang on. In this imperial province, they actually had a church that worshipped Caesar. They worshipped the emperor. So there's a church that worships Jesus in this city, and then there's a church that worships the emperor, who believes he's all-powerful. And the reason they worship him is because the emperor had the power to kill you. So if the person with the power to kill you says, worship me, you go, when and for how long? Unless, unless you don't believe that. And so there was this conflict going on in Thessalonica. And the conflict was... You need to worship the one who has all the power. Because if you control death, you pretty much have all the power. And then there was the one named Jesus that this community was worshiping. And there was this feeling of powerlessness that was going on. About three years ago, I had this experience, and I don't know where it came from, and I don't know why it happened. 
But I woke up in the middle of the night with this sudden and uncontrollable fear of dying. And maybe you've never had this. I had this come on me, and there was nothing I could do about it. And I just kept pondering this question, like, what happens if the lights go off and then that's it? And I would even be driving, I would be going someplace and I would drive by a funeral home and I'd just go, ooh. Like this cold chill would run down my spine. Now maybe it was because I was turning 40 and you know, I was thinking, well, this is, we're halfway there. Um, I don't know what it was, but I couldn't shake it. And then there was this other part of me, the pastor part in the back of my head that was like, dude, you believe in Easter. Why is this a problem? Shake it off, pray it off. And I couldn't. And so for almost two years, I would wake up with this immediate fear. What happens if when it all goes black, it's all over? What do we do then? What do I do then? And it's very similar to what's going on in Thessalonica because there is such a new, young church. This is one of Paul's earliest letters. So everybody knows this idea about Jesus, but some of the details are a little bit fuzzy. And they're like, okay, so, so we've heard this thing. And so he starts this passage we want to talk about tonight. He starts with this. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. What he's saying to them is, I understand there's some confusion about what's going on and what's going to happen when the lights go out. Because some of you know, we've said that Jesus has risen and he's going to bring everybody back with him, but you don't know how that's going to happen or when that's going to happen. And so they had this feeling of powerlessness. What if it doesn't happen? What if it doesn't go like we think it should go? Now, two things I want you to know. The word uninformed here does not mean stupid. Paul's not going, y'all are idiots. You know, I'm from southern West Virginia, so I can say y'all. It passes. He's not saying you're stupid. He's saying there's some details here that you're unclear on. This is so new for you. I get it. So I don't want you to be confused. I want you to have something that you can hang on to. Because they don't have any concept of what it's like not to be alive. And that's one of the scariest things about death. We don't have a memory of what it's like to not be alive. So we've got no, we've got no way to think about it. So he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. We're going to talk about this. But then he also says, I don't want you to grieve as others do who have no hope, he is not saying don't grieve. We can't misunderstand this. Paul's not saying it's wrong to grieve or it's evil to grieve. Because I know that some of you, in, the, in a room this size, some of you are grieving something. And so this idea of don't grieve, just move on. Put your past, in, your behind in your past, whatever. He's not saying that. Grief is part of who we are as human beings. As a matter of fact, Jesus even says this in Matthew. He says, blessed are those who mourn, who grieve, for they will be comforted. He says, look, this is not about status. Because back then, if you, were, if you were mourning or grieving, it means you were less of a person. It means you were weak. And Jesus says, no, 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 blessed are those people. If you've gone through that, there's a blessing for you. And then also in the Psalms, it says this, that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. If you're grieving something, instead of telling you to move on, God moves in. If you're grieving something, instead of telling you to move on, God moves in to that situation. Because it's easy to feel powerless when you're struggling with the loss of someone else because then we start to think about our own mortality. We start to think about how we're not going to be around forever. And then Paul continues. He says, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. Now this is very helpful except for there's not a whole lot of detail. 
Like, we love those near-death experience stories. Have you seen, you've read the books, or you've seen the movies about the people who go, and they see the light, and then they come back. Do you notice what's missing? The part in between. Like, we would have loved for them to go all the way in and then come back, because then they could have told us the whole thing, but there's still these details missing. So Paul says, here's what we want you to know. Jesus died, and he rose again, and he's going to bring with him those who have died. And if I'm in Thessalonica, I'd be like this. How's, how? What, Paul? Paul, when? Yes. What's it going to feel like? Like, we don't have those details. We all want those details. Like, the thing that drives us batty about death is we just don't know what it's like. And even with promises, sometimes it's like, yeah, but do you have more? I love the promise, but is there more? And I love that he says, believe here. We believe. He doesn't say we know. There's a big difference between saying, I know how all this is going to end, and saying, here's how I believe it's going to end. Here's how I believe things are going to go. When we feel the powerlessness of this idea that we're going to die at some point, what we need more than anything else is something to believe in. We need something to hang on to, even when we don't know that we can completely figure it all out, even when we don't have all the details. So here's what I know, is that Jesus gave us a memory of faith, not of certainty. When I started feeling this fear, what happens when the lights go out, I couldn't go and read a book and be like, oh, this is what happens. There's nobody who had been there and gone back and explained all the details. What I did was said, I need to have something to believe here. And that's what Paul is doing. And that's what Paul does for us. As we start to process this idea of what's going to happen, we get this memory of faith. Here's what you believe in. Not about certainty. And he says this over and over again as he's talking to people, and apparently, and because they're human beings. This is the great thing I love about the Bible. The Bible is full of people, and they're all weird, just like us. And they all freak out about the same things that we do. And so he's constantly telling them the same things over and over again, which is really helpful for us because we're still like them, and we're still dealing with the same things. He says this. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. So what we're looking at now, we kind of get a rough picture of. We're still just believing. We're still not certain. But at some point, we're going to see the things face to face. He says, I only know in part. And they thought he was the greatest. But then, when it all comes true, I'll know fully, even as I have been fully known. What Paul is saying is, right now what we have is faith. Right now, we believe something to be true that we don't have all the answers to. And honestly, I'd love to have that, but I think if we all had the certainty and had all the answers, our brains would explode. Because we're not built to do that. We're built to live in the tension between believing in what's going to happen and wondering what's going to happen. The tension of what happens when the light goes out and Jesus rose, and so he's going to bring us all with him. The first funeral I ever did since we're on this topic. The first funeral I ever did in the first church I ever served was for a woman in her 70s, and her name was Charlotte. And Charlotte was this beautiful, soft-spirited, soft-spoken woman. And she went into the hospital at the beginning of the month, and she passed away at the end of the month. She had no pre-existing conditions. And I remember just fighting this person with all these gifts, this person with all this goodness, this person with all this generosity to give is gone. And so I remember standing up at the front at her funeral and being like, what do I say? What do I say for somebody who is such a beautiful person 
and now they're not here. And so I said what I believed, is that I believed that Charlotte was somewhere with Jesus. I don't know how all that works. I don't know if there was an escalator. I don't know if there was a fast pass system. I don't know how it all works. All I know is I believe this person, even though she's not here, and we all want her to be here. Is this resonating with you? Like there are those people, we want them to be here. We miss them desperately. And when we set the Christmas table, we still set a place for them knowing that they're not gonna be there. And we hold that intention with the fact that we know they're not in pain. And they're experiencing a level of beauty that we couldn't possibly handle because our faces would melt off. And we hold those two things together. And if that were the end of the story, if that were the end of Paul's conversation with the Thessalonians, we would all need Lexapro because that would just be too much, right? Because there's that tension is not where we want to live. We have to. But there's a bigger piece to the story, and this is why we do things like Easter. This is why we do things like communion because the story that Jesus tells about death is that it isn't the final power. So even though we're living in this tension, even though we're going, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but here's what I believe is going to happen, and I want these people to be here, but I know they're not, even as we hold that thing together, Jesus then steps in and says, but I want to tell you something bigger. And it's almost as unbelievable. And to do that, we have to actually deal with a passage in this text that's really difficult. And so I want to spend a second talking about that. I will call this a troublesome passage, and here's what it says. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, Paul's including himself in this, who are left until the coming of the Lord, that Jesus is going to return, will by no means precede those who have died. Okay, that, that sounds right, right? For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Does that clear it up for you? Archangels, trumpets, descending. Yeah, it makes total sense to me. Let's go home. If you read this passage like you've never read it before, which some of you may be the first time you've heard it, it's kind of like, what? What is, what is that all? What is happening over there? And so a lot of times we read this and we think about something called rapture. Have you heard that word rapture? Anybody heard that word? Okay. There's a whole series of books called the Left Behind series that was really based on one way of reading this. And it believed that there would be this secret moment where God took all of the faithful people up to heaven and nobody knew about it. And there would be cars crashing and planes without pilots and clothes just laying in piles in different places. That's kind of how the storybook goes. Listen, you can believe that if you want. What I will tell you is that's not what this passage is about. Because for the people in Thessalonica, remember, they live in a city that worships an emperor. And when you worship an emperor, you give him all the God pictures. You place him in heaven. And when he wins a battle, angels announce it. And they blow trumpets. And he comes into the city, and everybody celebrates the emperor's victory. Okay, so maybe we should do it this way. Remember the last time that the Raiders or the Niners won a Super Bowl? No, no, it's too far back. we got to get a, new, a more recent image. When a sports team wins their major championship, they have this massive parade. In Chicago, when the Cubs finally won and broke the curse and everybody went out of their minds ballistic, we had millions of people on the streets welcoming the team to come back. And they all, people who went there, I know people who went there because they're nuts, they went to this parade and they said, I felt like I was part of it. The picture that Paul's painting is, says that when Jesus comes back, 
he will show us what real power looks like. He will show us the fact that it's not the emperor who wields death like a weapon. It's the savior who has taken death and made it his plaything. And he will come back into the city and we will join him and we will celebrate. Jesus says, death does not get the last word. There will be a parade and you will be welcome to be a part of it and Jesus will show us that death does not get the last word in our lives. Great obstacles have been overcome. And the reason this is so important is because the way the emperor operated in those days was we were gonna have peace. And so he promised everybody, if you worship me, if you live in this kingdom, if you live in this community, you will have peace. And they always talked about peace and security. And we know this is true. We know this is a problem because later on Paul says this. He says, when they say there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. It's kind of a weird promise. Like, where did that come from? Well, it comes from this term that the Romans used to use called Pax Romana. It means Roman peace. Do you know how you get peace? You kill all your enemies. And Caesar said, if you worship me, you hang out in my empire, you trust me to kill all your enemies, I'll keep you safe. And so the Christians had a choice. Who do I worship? The one who I believe is going to keep me safe? Or the one who died at the hands of the one who said he would keep me safe? Who am I going to put my faith in? Who am I going to put my trust in? Who am I going to shape everything I do in my life around? And so part of using this image of the parade is Paul is saying, look, you're going to be asked to make some decisions in your life that have to do with what you want to do with this idea of death. You're going to be asked to have some perspectives and some priorities. And it's okay that we, don't, we want comfort. It's okay that we want to be protected. The problem comes when Paul says, so what are you willing to do to avoid that uncomfort? What are you willing to give up in order to have the safety and the peace and security. Because at that time, people were being killed for worshiping Jesus and not Caesar. Because they called Jesus Christ, which is not his last name, in case you didn't know that. Christ is not his last name, it's a title. His name literally means King Jesus. Well, if you've already got one king and you start calling this other guy king, there are going to be problems. This town ain't big enough for the two of us. And so they had a dilemma. Do we worship the one who could kill us or the one who can save us? And for us, it's, it's kind of the dilemma we go to. Like our fear of death is big, but then it starts getting really specific. And that fear, that uncertainty, and that doubt motivates us. As a matter of fact, there's this concept that marketers use. It's called FUD. Not Elmer, but 1D, just one. FUD. It stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Good marketers will sell you a product making you fearful, uncertain, and doubtful. And then say, and this is the answer. In the 2016 presidential campaign, 40% of the ads on both sides of the aisle included some element of fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Be afraid of those people. Be afraid of not being certain about this thing. Be doubtful about this person's character. And just know, I'm the solution to all your problems. We've been battling this for our whole history, our fear of death then starts to motivate stuff that we do that's just flat out unhealthy. And so Christians were being threatened and were being killed and were losing their livelihoods. And they were asking Paul this question, what if we're wrong? What if there won't be a parade? What if the guy who killed Jesus actually gets away with it? 
But then Paul paints this picture. And he says, instead of a victorious Caesar, what if there is a victorious Jesus? Instead of everyone dying, what if people are raised back to life? What if instead of loneliness and darkness, there is with Godness? What if instead of abuse having full power over us, Jesus rewrites that story? What if the pain of losing a loved one doesn't last forever? Or losing a quality of life? Or losing a job we thought we'd have forever? What if he gives us a new memory and a new thing to hold on to in the future? Instead of thinking the goal of our life is to work ourselves ragged to get the stuff that we can't take with us, what if there's a different way of being where we don't have to be afraid of what happens at the end because Jesus has shown us what true power really looks like? Paul is encouraging us to cultivate a different story about death, and this is what it looks like. Jesus gives us a memory about death that changes the way we live. See, we get mistaken sometimes when we think that Christianity is all about what happens when the light goes out. That's not what it's about. Christianity is all about what happens between now and then. It's all about what happens between now and then. Because if you know death doesn't get to win, how will you live? If we know that death doesn't get to win, what will we do in the present? There's a writer named Albert Haas who's a wonderful, energetic, passionate guy, and he says this, if you want to know how to live, ask people who are dying. People who are at the end of their life will tell you exactly what they wish they had done. Why? Because suddenly all the intensity is there, and the priorities are there. They focus and narrow, and they know exactly what matters most to them. Some of us get so caught up in what's going to happen over there when the lights go out that we forget what's right in front of us. A chance to be generous, a chance to be faithful, a chance to do beautiful things in a world that's craving beautiful things. Because there's all kinds of different little deaths to be afraid of. There's the little deaths of our reputation sometimes. There's the death of our relevance. I'm getting older and the commercials are no longer for me. Do you, you, you know how that feels? Feels like dying, right? Nobody wants my money anymore, apparently. There's the death of our physical energy and stamina. When you get out of bed in the morning, more things pop than used to. There are these little tiny deaths, and when those things start spiraling down, we desperately need a new story. We might also need some counseling, so let me say this. You, if that's where you are and you're feeling like you're under the undertow of that, there is no shame in seeking help. Like we as a church, can I just soapbox for a second? We have got to get past this place where people with anxiety and depression are second-class citizens. It's real, and it's more predominant than anything else. So if that's you, yeah. If that's you, getting help is part of your faith journey. It's not the opposite of it. But we also need to have a different story of life and death and what we're here for. So back in 2000, this is the best way I can think about it. Back in 2000, my wife and I moved from uh, Springfield, from uh, where were we? Mount Vernon, Ohio. That's where we were. Mount Vernon, Ohio to Springfield, Illinois. And I had 24 hours to load this 26-foot, not that one, that's a stock image, um, to load a 26-foot U-Haul truck and put my car on a trailer on the back of it and drive it halfway across the country. Now, if you're going to do, here's a pro tip for you, if you're going to do something like that, do not invite your friends to help you move who are most likely to have been drinking. <laughs> Don't ask me how I know that, but I do. It was sort of like the scene at the beginning of The Hobbit where the, they show up and start throwing Bilbo stuff around. Yeah, 
Um, so my friend Jesse and I, we were there and we invited some friends over and they had been drinking, but we did get everything packed. Well, the interesting thing was that night, everything iced over. It got really, really cold, and for whatever reason, physics was against us. And the truck actually slid off of the parking lot and into the grass, which was wet and muddy. I don't know if you've ever tried to drive a 26-foot U-Haul truck with all your stuff in it out of muddy grass. It does not come out. It sank down to about an inch below the wheel wells. And I'm standing there looking at the tire, and my friend Jesse is here, and I'm like, Jesse, what are we going to do? And he looks at me, he goes, what are we going to do? I said, I can't believe the truck's in a hole. He goes, what are we going to do? I go, I can't believe the truck's in a hole. And then I'm like screaming at the sky, people move every day. Why me? (laughs) And so we called a tow truck, which we couldn't afford, and pulled it out. But then we drove. So the next day we get up, and we're groggy, and and we're irritated, and we know we've got this thing ahead of us. So we get up the next day, and it has started to rain, like pour the rain. And so we get out, we get everything set. I'm soaked to death get in the truck, we drive across Indiana. As we're going across the great state of Indiana, you've driven across Indiana before? Not the most exciting thing. Driving across Indiana, the rain turns to snow. And so everything that's wet on the outside of the truck and on the outside of the trailer and on the outside of my car then freezes. By the time we get to Illinois, there is three inches of snow on the ground and everything is frozen. I have to get the car off the trailer in order to get the stuff out of the truck. So we take the truck to where we're going to be, pull into the parking lot in order to get the car off. My father-in-law shows up with a propane torch. I get in his car, we warm up the key, and we jam it into the lock. So I jump out, jam it into the lock, jump in the car. We've got an open flame inside a Hyundai Elantra. That's not a good idea. Warming up the key, jumping out, and we finally get it off, and we finally get everything set. And I sit down to some pizza with my family, and it was the best tasting food I'd ever had. Why do I tell you that story? That story reminds me of the book of Revelation. And the reason why is because I have this memory now, this moment in time, that no matter how bad things get, I can look at my friend or I can look at my wife and go, hey, at least the truck's not in a hole. (laughs) It's called a future memory. It's called something we remember so that when things get really nasty, we can hang on to it. And Revelation is all about not the end of the world, but the movement of the world right now. And so one of the most beautiful things it says in the book of Revelation is this. It says, look, look. This is not happening. This is going to happen. But remember that it will. Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. Caesar will not get to win ever again. Aging will never get to win ever again. Depression, anxiety, addiction, abuse will never get to win again. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. This is a different memory that invites us to live differently now, knowing that that's what's coming. Paul's point was never, hey, y'all, hang on till you die and everything will be fine. His point was, because this is where it ends, we live differently right now. This is what we're going to do. So my question for you is this. If death doesn't get to win, how are we going to live right now? If death doesn't get to win, if Caesar doesn't win, if aging doesn't win, if addiction and abuse and anxiety and depression, if they don't get to win, what do we do today? How do we live right now? And for that, I go back to the words of Paul, and this is what Paul invites us to do. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father 
through him. Everything you do, do it in the reality that death does not get to win, in the reality of Jesus. So what would it look like for you to drive in the name of the Lord Jesus? Some of y'all need to. I'm just saying. Some of us need to as well. What does it look like to raise your kids in the name of the Lord Jesus? When they're teenagers locking themselves in the bathroom and calling you the spawn of Satan, what do you do with that? How do you live, how do you parent in the name of the Lord Jesus? How do you manage your behaviors and your habits knowing that there is a power that is stronger than death that is driving us? I want to invite you to that. And I don't know, some of you may not have a a faith background. You may not have a faith background. Maybe you've never decided to do anything with Jesus. You're not even sure that you believe this whole thing. You're definitely not sure about this whole life after death thing. I totally understand. But today, I don't want to ask you what you're going to do or where you think you're going to go when you die. I'm going to ask you, how would you like to know how to live with that question settled? How would you like to know how to do your life, your relationships, your work, knowing that death doesn't get to win? And if you already know that, I just want to invite you to have a reminder. A good friend of mine named James Brian Smith gives us two things that I try and remember every single day. And these are things that help me continue to remember this is where we're going. He says this. He said, we always remember that I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. Some of us are cool with the dwells part. I like the delights part. That God is actually, like, giddy about you. Like, he is exceedingly fond of us. And also, I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. Caesar does not get to win. Death does not get to win. We live in the unshakable kingdom of God. How would you and I live if that were true? I made peace with my fear of death. I don't know how it happened, but one day it just sort of settled. And it began when I started to say, I am afraid of this. And that's okay. Because it's a tension. But I go back to the scriptures and the story of Jesus and the story of Easter to do the one thing that Paul finishes his passage with, and he says this, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Can I encourage you with this? There is a parade coming, a victory parade. There is an end that is already settled. There's a question that's already answered, and you don't have to answer that anymore. What you can do is live differently because you know It's been answered. So can I invite you, would you like to become a follower of Jesus and know that that question is settled? So what do we do in the meantime as we hold this tension together of this is what I don't know, this is what I believe? Let's pray together. God, I'm grateful for all that you've done. I'm grateful that you give us a different story about death. I'm grateful that no matter what has happened in our lives, no matter what we've been through, no matter what pains or heartaches or grief, no matter what we're afraid of, that our fear does not change the way you think about us. Instead of telling us to move on, you move towards us. And so when we wrestle this big old question about death to the ground, remind us that you are with us. And there is a parade coming, and the victory is coming that we get to be a part of, no matter what. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.